Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. So we are in our sermon series entitled Summer in the Cities, where we're looking at the book of Acts, the second half of the book of Acts, and the travels of the Apostle Paul. As he goes from city to city, different region, preaches the gospel, and we see the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the church about here in the second half of the book of Acts. Today I'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, where we hear about Paul causing quite an uproar. So I invite you to hear the word of God. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people in the city officials were disturbed when they heard this, and after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God for this word. Please join me in prayer. Lord, as we gather here, we ask that you would speak to us, that through your scriptures, we could learn how your Holy Spirit works, that through your scriptures, we can learn the ways in which we can model our lives after Paul, the ways in which he proclaimed the gospel, the ways in which he interacted with the different cities, the different people that your Holy Spirit brought him to. Lord, help us to be guided by the Holy Spirit in the same way, and help us to model the ways we present the gospel, the ways we interact with people in the same way Paul did, Lord. Help us to model off Paul's example. So speak to us now. Shape us and form us. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Acts takes us to the city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica, it's on the site of a city in Greece today called Salonica. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but basically you just drop off the first T-H-E-S, and that's the city in Greece. I'll confess I've never heard of this city before, but it turns out that it's the second largest city in Greece. Did anybody know that here? Can anyone name what the largest city is? Is it Athens? I have no idea. I was actually just wondering if you all know that. <laughs> is it Athens, right? It has to be, right? I think so. Anyway, somebody will Google that during the service when they're not listening to me. <laughs> but Thessalonica is about 150 kilometers away from Philippi, which is where Paul was last week when we were talking. And 150 kilometers is 93 miles, for those of you who don't understand kilometers like I don't. But this city is the second largest in Greece today, and 
it's pretty much always been a large city from what I could tell. In the Roman Empire, it was the second largest city in the eastern half of the Roman Empire. It was founded in the 300 BCs. And it was founded by a man named Cassander. He named it after his wife. And his wife was the daughter of King Philip II of Macedon, whose brother, her, her brother, his wife's brother, was also Alexander the Great. I'm sure you've heard of him. So Cassander founds this city, names it after his wife, and it grew into this large metropolis. It had all sorts of different people from different regions who came there looking for economic opportunity, which is why there's a synagogue here in Thessalonica. Because Jewish people would have come up north looking for opportunity there. So it's this city, this large, robust city that Paul creates an uproar in. That Paul creates essentially a riot. That's how you could also translate that Greek word there. Uproar, riot. Paul creates this discord in this city, Thessalonica. And in the story, there's a few things that I find interesting and also a little bit funny to me. One thing that stands out to me is if you're looking for when the idea of sermon series began in the church, this is the first instance we have. If you noticed, Paul goes into the Sabbath three weeks in a row. So sermon series begin here with Paul. The other thing that I notice about this story as well is, gosh, does Jason have a bad day in this one? We don't know anything about Jason. He just gets mentioned here. They're looking for Paul, they're looking for Silas, and then they decide, let's go take Jason in. Now, the accusation is that Jason was hosting Paul and Silas, but we actually don't, I think, know that. I assume he was, but then they pull Jason in front of them, and he has to pay bail. And I'm really hoping at some point, did Paul pay him back for that? I hope so. But the thing that stands out to me the most about this passage in this story is the way that Paul and Silas are described. They are the people who have been turning the world upside down. Turning the world upside down. That's what Paul and Silas have been doing. Going from town to town, turning the world upside down. And when I read that, there's something about me that connects with that and feels excited. Maybe it's because I've watched and listened to Hamilton too many times. But there's something about that idea of turning the world upside down, of making things different, of shaking things up that I think can be appealing. We can feel drawn to that, like we're part of a cause, part of a movement, that our lives matter and have meaning. And I think that that is good. But we also have to be careful. Because there's ways you can turn the world upside down that are productive, and there's ways you can turn the world upside down that are less productive. And one thing that I've noticed and that I've seen is sometimes we Christians, we can want to turn the world upside down just for the sake of turning the world upside down. Sometimes people talk in the church about being offensive as though that's a value in and of itself, as though we are going to be offensive as Christians and we should just be offensive as Christians. That offending people is something that is good and is positive. There's a line in Galatians from Paul. He writes a letter to the Galatians, and he talks about the offense of the cross. And there's been numerous preachers who have talked about what the offense of the cross means. 
But one thing I've noticed is when they talk about the offense of the cross, most often they don't also mention that in that very same chapter that Paul talks about the offense of the cross, he also lifts up the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, patience, joy, gentleness. Not very offensive. So there's this tension here. And one of the things that I wondered when I first looked at this passage is that this is a story where Paul is being offensive. He's turning the world upside down here. But how do we know when we are turning the world upside down in a positive way? How do we know when we're being offensive in a way that is appropriate? Or how do we know when we're just kind of being jerks? How do we know when we're being offensive just to make ourselves feel brave and bold and courageous and not actually doing what God has called us to do or treating people the way God has called us to treat them. So I I thought it'd be interesting to go back and to look in the book of Acts at the times that Paul causes uproars, the times that Paul causes riots, the times that he is most offensive to the point that a city wants to attack him. It happens more than you might realize. It happens four times in the book of Acts. There's four different stories where this word for uproar is used. And it's describing Paul's actions or the actions of Paul's associates. And I think looking at those four different stories, you can start to see some patterns and start to see why it was Paul was turning the world upside down, how Paul was doing so. So with each of these stories, I just want to look briefly at what happened, at what Paul actually did, and at what the accusation was against Paul. So the first of these is Acts 17 that we looked at already. In this story, Paul is going into the synagogues. That's what happens here. He's going into the synagogues and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the truth that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Messiah had to suffer. The Messiah had to die and the Messiah had to be raised again. In Acts 17, that's what Paul is actually doing. That's what happens that then leads to this big uproar. But the accusation against Paul is interesting here. The accusation against Paul is that he and his companions are saying that there is a king named Jesus. We might not understand just how much that would turn the world upside down in Paul's day, but it very much would. Because in the Roman Empire, there was one king, there was one Lord, and it was not Jesus. In the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord. Caesar was salvation. Caesar was savior. You looked to the Roman Empire to either protect you or to destroy you if you didn't seek its protection. So to say that there was another king, that somebody else had more power than Caesar, that would turn the world upside down. That would unravel the very basis for why the Roman Empire existed. So you can see why that was the accusation they made against Paul because it would work. And the Christians, as they were going around preaching Jesus as Lord, they were turning the Roman Empire upside down. So that's the first story. That's the first way in which Paul creates an uproar. The second one takes place two chapters later in Acts chapter 19. So this is now story number two. Paul is now in Ephesus. And Paul is going around and he is saying in Ephesus that gods that are made of hands are no gods at all. He's arguing against idols. It's all fine until the silversmiths hear about this. See, the silversmiths, they're the ones who make the idols. 
Their livelihood depends on this. So we're told in Acts chapter 19 that one of the silversmiths gathers up all of his buddies and says, hey, we're losing money here. Let's go and let's take care of this. So they go and they raise an uproar. They get a bunch of people. And it's this kind of hilarious scene to me. They end up in a theater and all these people are gathered in a theater. They're talking in different languages and nobody really knows what's going on. But they're all angry. They're all upset. Paul wants to go and talk to them and his friends are like, "Uh uh-uh, dude, sit down. You've done enough today. So that's the second time Paul creates an uproar. And with this one, notice, he's saying something that is just true. That gods that are made of human hands, they're not anything. They're, they're just false. They're idols. But again, Paul saying that, it disrupts people's livelihoods. It disrupts the way that they make money. So it causes an uproar. The next time Paul causes an uproar, This is now story number three. It's in Acts chapter 21. Paul is now in Jerusalem. He travels a lot in Acts, by the way. These cities aren't very close to each other. But he's now in Jerusalem. And the accusation is that Paul has allowed Greeks to be in the temple. Again, that might sound odd to us, but the temple was reserved for Jewish people. The the inner courts were. And bringing a non-Jewish person into the temple, into the inner courts, was a deep violation. And we don't know if Paul actually did this, but we know that at this point, he is definitely traveling with Greeks who have embraced Jesus as Lord. And it actually fits Paul's character to bring them into the temple. This is something that Paul would do because in Paul's eyes, Those distinctions that the world holds between people, the the boundaries, the barriers that we use to divide each other from one another, those get broken down in God's eyes. The early church was, in many ways, collected of a bunch of misfits. It was slaves. It was people the world would look at as degenerates. Women held prominent positions of leadership in the early church, which was not normal for the Roman Empire and for that society. Sadly, it hasn't been normal for most societies throughout history. But Paul changed that. At one place, he refers to women as apostles, meaning they had authority, they were speaking. So for Paul to bring Greeks into the temple, it would fit. It would line up with what he saw God doing. And that creates an uproar in Jerusalem. So that's the third story. And the fourth one, and the last one I'll mention here, and the last one where Acts talks about Paul creating an uproar, Paul is on trial two chapters later in Acts 23. And he notices that the people who are trying him, half of them are Pharisees, half of them are Sadducees. And Paul knows Pharisees believe in the resurrection, Sadducees don't. And very cannily, very creatively, Paul says, I'm on trial because of the resurrection and I believe in it. And he creates an uproar between these two groups because he holds to the resurrection. The Pharisees, they share the same agenda on the resurrection, so they start defending Paul. The Sadducees start trying to attack him. It creates chaos, and Paul escapes. It's a quite useful way of preaching the resurrection, I must say. But it is also true. It's not like Paul lied. So those are the four times that Paul creates an uproar, that Paul is offensive, that Paul gets people angry and upset. 
So what are the things that we can notice about this? I think first off, the thing we have to realize is that in these stories, Paul isn't trying to be offensive. He's not proud of being offensive. The goal for him is not to go and to be offensive. Paul is simply doing what he always does. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's helping people understand what God had done in Jesus. He's not going out of his way to make people upset, and he's not giving himself a badge of courage, courageousness, courage, whatever. You know what I mean. He's simply being faithful to the call that he has. And the byproduct of that is that in these instances, it creates uproars. But Paul does these same exact things in different settings, and there is no uproar. So the point for Paul was never to just be offensive for the sake of being offensive. The point of Paul was to be faithful to the call God had placed on his life. And I think if we just summarize, too, what it is that actually causes Paul to be offensive here. We can see some themes as well. The, The first time Paul is offensive, it's because he is saying that Jesus is king. He proclaims Jesus as Lord. That's still going to be offensive today at times. And it's something we should still do. But each one of us should recognize that whatever nation you live in, however amazing it might be, whatever benefits you might receive, it is not as powerful as the God that we worship. And whatever leaders we lift up, they are not as powerful, they're not as in control as our Lord Jesus. Our commitment, our loyalty, our citizenship is to the kingdom of God and is to our Lord Jesus first. And at times, that will make us distinct. And here's the thing that I think Christians don't always understand. You're going to be offensive at times, so don't go seek it out. It's going to happen. If you really want to be offensive, if you're somebody that really gets excited by that, just be faithful to the gospel, and it will happen. You don't need to go seek it out. It may not be in the ways that you think, though, the more faithful you are to this gospel. The second thing Paul does, he um, refuses to engage in idols. He argues against idols. Again, if you're faithful to this gospel, then you'll notice that in our society, we have our own idols. They may not be made of human hands, but they're made of words, celebrities that get marketed in certain ways. Athletes, I say that as a committed Laker fan as well. The way we lift up athletes in certain ways, they can become idols. Business leaders, politicians. We start looking to other human beings as saviors, as people who are going to fix our problems. And when we do that, that is idolatry. And if you start to say, no, don't lift up that politician in that way. That celebrity isn't going to fix your problems. People are going to be offended by that because that's where they're finding their hope. That's where they're placing their hope erroneously in. Third thing Paul does, Paul embraces people who don't belong. This, I think, is one that is going to cause offense. Because there are people that our society has pushed to the sidelines. There's people that our society has ignored. There's people that our society, our different cultures, our subcultures that we have, tell us they don't actually belong. But those are the very types of people that Paul went out and evangelized to, helped them to understand that under God's eyes, they were just as equal, just as important as everybody else. So Paul tore down the conventions and pulled them into the church. 
If we do likewise, it's going to offend people. It might even offend the people that we consider our allies, the people that we consider ourselves closest to. But it is going to happen. And the last one, and I think the most important one here, Paul proclaims the resurrection. We may not think of that as something that's going to be offensive, but people will think you're nuts. I mean, let's be honest. We're talking about somebody who lived 2,000 years ago that we believe was raised from the dead, and because of that, we now all have hope that we're going to be raised from the dead. For somebody who doesn't already embrace that story, it sounds wild. But that's what we proclaim. So these things that Paul does, they, they are going to be offensive in today's world as well. And here's my challenge to all of us. Why don't we just stick to this gospel that Paul's proclaiming? Instead of seeking out other ways to be offensive, instead of thinking that because of a political stance, if somebody thinks you're offensive, that that means you're being faithful to God, instead stick to this gospel. If you're offensive for these four reasons, then keep moving forward. But if not, if you're offensive because you're just being rude or you're just being a jerk or something that has, not, has nothing to do with this gospel, then second guess it. Reflect. And ask yourself, is that the way that God actually wants us to turn this world upside down? We can turn the world upside down in the wrong ways, or we can do it in the way Paul did it, for the reasons Paul did it. We can turn this world upside down so that we feel brave and courageous, or we can turn the world upside down so that people have hope that there is something better. We can be part of God's work of turning this world upside down so that it reflects the desires God has for this world rather than just doing it because of some political, cultural agenda. This gospel will turn the world upside down. But when we stick to the way God, Paul proclaims it, that's when we do it in a way that honors God and edifies God. So, may we turn the world upside down. But may we, may we do so in the way Paul did, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Paul's example. We know that he went around and he created trouble, but he created trouble because he was faithful to you and only because he was faithful to you. We know that he didn't go around just trying to be offensive, to cause offense, just so that he could feel bold and courageous. He did it so that more people would know who you were. He did it so that people would have hope in you. So help us to do likewise.
Praise of your glory. 